Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 4th of December 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Patrick Henningsen, myself, Brian Gerrish. Uh, cold day today, Patrick. We've had a bit of snow on Dartmoor, so maybe that sets the uh, Christmas theme a bit. But of course, more important things happening we're to be vaccinated. Well, this is our key to freedom, Brian, our key to liberation, we're told uh, by the politicians, or is the vaccine uh, coming up over the horizon, like, like a dawn over the horizon, as uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, uh, said uh, recently in an interview. Uh, now, this is with the Good Morning Britain, with uh, Piers Morgan uh, is the host. Uh, I know that's one of your favorite TV presenters. I'm afraid he's not, no. <laughs> I, I'd like to see him taken to task on a number of subjects. So, so we're going to play a, a couple of clips now uh, of this interview with Matt Hancock. And I'm just going to say before we preface this, Brian, this is an all-out full-court press on vaccines across all media yeah. uh, for the last week. I and mean, they're really pushing hard. And so they're really looking for agents of influence, uh, media, celebrities, and so forth to get on board with the program. With the propaganda bandwagon. Right. And we're going to have a little look at the BBC <laughs> a, bit, a bit later on this subject. So first, let's start off with uh, the, uh, an impassioned speech by Matt Hancock, the health secretary on the floor of the House of Commons recently. Let's go ahead and, and look at this. We talk a lot of the outbreak in Liverpool and how that great city has had a terrible outbreak and got it under control. This means more to me than I can say, because last month my step-grandfather, Derek, caught COVID there, and on the 18th of November, he died. In my family, as in so many others, we've lost a loving husband, a father, a grandfather to this awful disease. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you to everyone in Liverpool for getting this awful virus under control. It's down by four-fifths in Liverpool. That's what we can do if we work together in a spirit of common humanity. We've got to beat this, yeah, Madam yeah, Deputy yeah, Speaker. Yeah, We've got yeah. to beat it together. I was very uh, moved by that, Health Secretary, and I want to send, uh, on behalf of everyone here, our deepest condolences to you and to your family. Um, tell us about your step-grandfather, Derek. Well, uh, Derek was my stepsister's stepfather. And we have a, I have a, a complicated, messy and uh, loving family. And, you know, we're one big extended family, really. Uh, and uh, he, um, sadly, well, you know, he, he caught coronavirus uh, in November. Um, and, uh, and then he passed away. Uh, and it's just, well, it's just awful, you know. What are your first impressions on that, Brian? I think it's a, a pathetic play that he's putting across very badly. The faked emotion is not coming across well at all. Boris Johnson looking at him lovingly, lovingly there from the benches as if this was some amazing story being delivered. We have, according to the public reports, over 40,000 elderly people died in care homes as a result of lockdown. Not one word of compassion shown for those elderly people in Westminster. Uh, but Matt Hancock can come up with this uh, story about a step away from the truth. Uh, I think we'll discover what I mean by that in a minute. 
and we are supposed to believe that this is real news. I, I just simply do not believe this. You brought up the key point, uh, Brian, which is that the, uh, the, the main demographic affected by the, the, you know, the, the pandemic or by COVID, it's, it's overwhelmingly in one specific at-risk, vulnerable, high uh, vulnerability demographic, not the general public, not the general population. And yet they're claiming that their, their circuit breaker in Liverpool cut infections by four-fifths. Yeah. Are they really making this claim publicly, well, the government? Well, they are, because the government's going to make any claim, is making any claim it wants to at the moment. The truth's gone out the window. It's simply claim after claim about COVID and, and uh, the, the uh, policy to deal with COVID. So I'm, so, I'm trying to, to work out the lineage. Uh, is, 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 first, on the Commons floor, he said, Matt Hancock, it was my step-grandfather. Then with Piers Morgan there on, on the news segment, it's his stepsister's stepfather. Uh, and then the Daily Mail uh, would take a look at this. They, uh, they did a story on this, and apparently, according to the Daily Mail, it's the second husband of his stepfather's ex-wife. So not exactly a direct family there. And they went to great lengths here, uh, including a, a family tree chart here, Brian, to sort of try to explain uh, how this was... Uh, in fact, his step-grandfather? A week or so ago, Matt Hancock, there was a picture of Matt Hancock alongside one of his friends that had just got a huge contract by some mysterious interaction. His neighbour. His yeah. neighbour. Yeah. Um, and the two of them were looking extremely happy. Now, maybe that was an, a photograph from some time ago. I don't think it was. Um, so we seem to have had a, an amazing change in Matt Hancock in front of the cameras here. But I'll come back to the 40,000 plus elderly people that died alone in care homes. And at the moment around the country, we've got many elderly people. Many of them have suffered bad strokes. Uh, they're not allowed any visits from relatives. So they are being lined up to die alone by this man Hancock that's putting on this pathetic performance. I, I do feel very passionately about this actually because <laughs> because in, a, in our family we we have one extremely elderly lady who's had a terrible stroke. Her only contact, the only bit of sunshine in her life is for somebody to go and visit her and we can't visit her as a result of this man's policies. It's, and it's, yet I'm supposed to respond to him crying in Westminster, it's a scam. The policies are yeah. in, inhumane. I, I don't think there's much argument I think uh, so. about that. Let's, <laughs> let's look at that dramatic performance, uh, some more of that. Uh, we'll, we'll continue that, that clip. And especially now with this vaccine news, uh, we, can, we can get through this together as a country if we do the things that we all know we need to do. Um, and, uh, and it's just made me even more determined to, to, to get this thing beaten. Well, it, I, I mean, I just really feel it here. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are speechless, aren't we, Patrick? We are speechless watching this man because clearly he does not care whatsoever about the damage that his policies are doing in the country. He said it right there. As, I, as long I, as everyone, everyone does what they're supposed to do, then yeah. we'll get through this together. Right. And how is the government going to ensure that people do what it says must be done? Well, can we remind people at this point that uh, we've been warning and warning about the government's use of the Behavioural Insights team. Uh, this was, uh, we put this out about two, three weeks ago. 
Uh, we found David Halpin here working on the little book of green nudges. This was how to change the minds of university students. But David Halpin, uh, the chief executive of the Behavioural Insights team, using political applied psychology to change the way people uh, behave and think. This is what he said, with knowledge of these cognitive processes, we can make changes to the options people have, the choice environment, in order to encourage certain choices, or we can explicitly design choices to harness or overcome co common cognitive bias. So the government is going to make sure that as far as COVID is concerned, the only um, options you are given are the ones the government wants so that the public will be led into doing as the government sees fit. And these policies are going to be enacted by psychology that as we have warned about consistently, look at the government Mindspace document, you will not know that this type of psychology is being used. So um, the, the uh, second part of it here we'll just bring, bring up. We say that this man's effectively facilitating the government's COVID response. Why can we say that? Because he has been working within SAGE and within the specialist uh, psychology team, SPY-B, and we have published the uh, minutes of their own meetings where they're showing that they're using this applied psychology to affect behavior. This is one of the documents that was talking about how well uh, their message was adhering to young people. So young people being targeted, uh, but in, in May, I think it was the 22nd of May, uh, we showed the minutes of the meeting where they were openly saying they were going to ramp up fear uh, amongst the uh, communities in UK in order to get people to follow the government's COVID policies. So you ramp up fear, you ramp up stress, you ramp up depression, you ramp up suicides and mental illness. And that is another whole layer that... that uh, this despicable man Hancock is pushing alongside Boris Johnson. Yeah, and, and he admitted as much of what you just said, uh, Brian. Uh, just roll the next clip. Uh, let's, let's listen to what he has to say again. Sweet. But you do have a job on your hands, don't you, from people who say, uh, well, you, on the one hand, you've got the people who are anti-vax. Let's just put those to one side. You do have a significant group of people yeah. who think, this has happened too quickly for my liking. How are you going to persuade people to take this vaccine up? Because unless most of us have the vaccine, it's not going to have the effect in terms of getting rid of other restrictions that you want it to. Exactly, as you said, Brian. How well, are you going to convince people to take it? Because if, if you have to work so hard to convince people uh, to, A, believe there's a pandemic, uh, and, and B, uh, have the vaccine yeah. when there's not really a visible pandemic around. No, and as we're going to be showing in, the min in, in a minute, uh, challenge after challenge from medically and scientifically qualified people to say we do not believe the pandemic message that the government is putting across. But of course, none of that appears on television. So the interviewers there giving Matt Hancock an easy ride because they could have put on screen scientific papers showing the challenge to the policies he's enacting. Absolutely. So yeah. Piers, Piers Morgan there. Um, I mean, another useless 
uh, TV celebrity because he doesn't challenge on the facts that are available. He's just kind of a matador, a matador journalist, they call it, you know, just yeah. wave them through and uh, cheerlead, cheerlead for them. Yeah, I'd say so. But let's, let's uh, listen to what else he has to say. That's right. And, and, you know, the vaccine wouldn't be approved by the regulator if it wasn't clinically safe. But also what I'd say is don't listen to, uh, to me. Listen to the clinicians. Listen to the, uh, the experts. People like Professor Jonathan Van Tam, uh, JVT as he's become known, right? Uh, he is an expert in these things, and he's said that he's called his mum and said, Mum, if you get the call from the NHS, make sure you get there and get vaccinated, because... More, more on Jonathan Van Tam uh, in a moment. We'll yeah. get to that in a second. But you, you can see this is just like really trying really, really hard uh, to get people to believe this story. Trying too hard because the more he tries, the worse the acting is. But notice that the little story given is as though you as an adult member of UK society are a seven-year-old. He's getting trying to get the emotional hit. This is the use of the applied psychology. Hancock's not bright enough to use this stuff on himself. He's being briefed by the teams and in the background, the cabinet office using this applied psychology to attack the minds of the public. So uh, now Mike, Michael Yeadon, uh, there's, there's an interview up with uh, Talk Radio, I believe uh, he did this with uh, Julie Hartley Brewer uh, just yesterday, I believe. And so he's really warning about the uh, a, the safety uh, of the vaccine rollout, has it been properly tested? And he's also questioning the uh, efficacy, the effectiveness of it. He's saying, quite frankly, uh, is there a health need? In other words, is there a need for this vaccine? You just don't go and vaccinate healthy young people yep. when they're not actually at risk of COVID-19. So especially, so if there's safety questions and there, there's no health need for the majority of the population, then you have a big problem when those two things are clashing. And, and the job of the BBC is to make sure that that clash is never seen publicly. That's kept away from the public. So that conversation's happening on these other media outlets, Correct. but not on the main broadcast networks. They, no, because they are simply being used as the government's uh, uh, spokesman. Let, let's look at a few things that uh, Dr. Yeadon said uh, in that interview here. And mind you, he's the former respiratory head of scientific research at Pfizer. And Pfizer's leading with one of the main miracle vaccines, as they call it, uh, in this sort of race to uh, vaccinate the population. And this is what he has to say. We really don't know enough about the long-term safety. It's just not been in people very long. This is kind of a common sense question, Brian. Uh, when they've only done a few months of human trials uh, and they've, they've skipped a lot of the uh, normal protocols and due, due diligence uh, because apparently we're in the midst of a pandemic and we just can't wait. For safety checks. We can't wait, the politicians can't wait. I think that's the problem. They can't wait politically uh, because they need this as sort of a benchmark uh, to come after lockdown as a kind of to prove or to sort of get the, the population into this kind of uh, gestalt of uh, one thing yeah. after another. So, and this is what uh, Yeadon has said. Let's just look at what he said here. He said, I don't think we know much about its effectiveness uh, because the trial has only discovered when people became PCR positive. They haven't looked at full length viral sequencing or cultures. This is a really basic point, uh, Brian. So the, the, they, they boast about the testing, they boast about the 94% uh, effectiveness, which we'll come on to uh, yeah. in a minute, 
but really, what do they show? They show if they're PCR positive. This is what the pharma companies are doing in their tests, and all they're doing is you know, reporting PCR positives. There's a whole question around whether the PCR positive test means that you're a case or even an infection. That's a well-known conversation. This has been hashed out by a number of top medical experts, universities. And so here we have the drug companies are completely avoiding that debate and baking it into their uh, trials. So their trials are really designed to succeed from their point of view. And it's not me saying that. A lot of the top journalists and even uh, some of the top medical journals have said the same thing, Brian. They have. The other thing we need to point out is that amongst the, the people medically, scientifically trained to challenge what's going on and to say we don't believe what's going on, we don't believe that the policies to, uh, uh, to be enforced are the correct ones, but of course these people are now fearful for their jobs. If you have somebody working within the NHS who is well qualified to say what the government is trying to tell you is not correct, they're worried that if they speak out, they're gonna lose their job. So on top of the fear that's been created around COVID by the government, we've now got fear amongst the experts across society that if they dare challenge the government line, they're gonna lose their jobs. This is a very insidious position, isn't it? Sure, and, and one of the things that uh, Dr. Yeadon and others have, have, have said, uh, and here's this uh, study here, this is the, uh, the Telegraph actually, herd immunity uh, could have saved more lives than lockdown, this study suggests. So they're, they're, not only that, they're, they're saying that we, we've broadly achieved herd immunity already. Uh, and this is what many other people are saying as well, and that uh, this is actually the key uh, that's already been delivered, that to, to the solution to the problem has already happened. Well, because it's, it's, it's nature, isn't it? This is one of the key things that we, we are seeing so many scientific people saying, whoa, hang on a minute. Uh, you know, the human body's been around for a long time. It's designed to deal with this sort of problem and it's herd immunity, which, can, which will be the ultimate thing which protects you. And this is what they're saying quickly here, Brian. Blanket social distancing and the closure of schools have cost more lives uh, than than if herd immunity had been allowed to build slowly in the community, a study suggests. And they're analyzing the Imperial College model that the government used as its sort of basis for the whole lock, experimental lockdown policy back in March, shutting schools, et cetera. But really they're, they're, they're saying that, uh, you know, in terms of preventing youngsters from mingling may have led the counterintuitive effect of actually killing more people. Brian. Yeah, and, and this one to come up, if I just bring this one up, a study in the BMJ. Now, we're not talking sideline periodicals here. We're talking British Medical Journal. We're talking um, prime journals to comment on this. In a study in the BMJ, Edinburgh University predicted that over the entire course of the pandemic, keeping children out of classrooms would increase deaths by between 80,000 and 95,000. Likewise, social distancing of everyone rather than just the over 70s could cost between 149,000 and 178,000 lives. And while this sort of research is being pushed forward, let's say we don't know whether this is correct, but there should be a debate on it. There should be a proper open scientific debate. While this sort of warning is, is, is coming from well-qualified sources, the BMJ, Matt Hancock is playing in Christmas pantomimes to get sympathy for his version of, of what the events are. And we can bring another one up here. 
Uh, experts say the virus was able to spread faster to vulnerable people once lockdown measures were introduced than if uh, some level of immunity had been allowed to build up in the young. So these are fundamental challenges to the, uh, the government's um, policy. And I've got another one here. It, it comes as thousands of scientists across the world signed the Great Barrington Declaration calling for an end to lockdown for young and healthy people. Uh, we'll just do one more on this segment. The authors of the, the new paper who discovered the figures in their reappraisal said the government appeared to have chosen to protect the NHS in the short term rather than save lives throughout the whole epidemic. Although it reduced peak demand for ICU beds, it prolonged the epidemic, resulting in more long-term COVID-19 deaths. So all of this analysis, Pat, is coming in that the government's policies, when properly evaluated, resulted in thousands and thousands of more people dying. So surely Matt Hancock should be brought in front of a public inquiry to answer what these what these government policies have really been about. It might end up being a tribunal uh, if we keep going in this direction of well, travel. I think we should. And Let's, I think it's time to get passionate about it because we are dealing with the deaths of thousands of people. So, so the, again, the government's just trying to ram science as they see it into their policy, basically, trying to ram a square peg into their their round hole and, and doing a tremendous amount of damage on the periphery. Right, but I think we also got to ask Pat, why has this round hole been created? They're desperate to get the peg in the hole, but why was the, the whole peg in the hole created? And that's got to come down to money and profit from the, uh, from the pharmaceutical companies, hasn't yeah, it? Certainly, and there's also a bigger uh, economic agenda uh, called the Great Reset, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But back to the peers and Matt, show real quick let's uh let's let they're going to tee off our, our next talking point go ahead and roll this as i know only too well and so many families know this is a deadly disease and the vaccine protects you from it okay that's a lie right there according to the pharmaceutical companies themselves uh, the vaccine does not provide immunity uh, from uh, the coronavirus brian and so that brings us back to uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon here. And this was published uh, really just in the last couple of days, uh, which he co-authored here with uh, Dr. Wolfgang Wadark uh, from Germany. Now, both of these gentlemen, Dr. Wadark uh, worked with the German government for years, Brian, on approving medicines and drugs. So he's well-versed and has a great amount of uh, expertise in this area. Dr. Michael Yeadon, uh, he worked on drug uh, development and R&D at Pfizer for many years, as, you know, 20 plus years experience in, in that field at that level. And this is what they're saying here. They've drafted this letter. Uh, it's a request to stop all coronavirus vaccination studies and call for co-signing this petition. And uh, there's a link in this piece. I suggest everybody to go uh, online, Google this, find it, share it. It's a very, very important article with an important links uh, within, embedded within the article. And this is uh, the link to what they've published here, Brian. This is a letter that they've drafted uh, together. And when you uh, go through this letter and we go down, it addresses a number of really important points with regards to the safety uh, of this uh, vaccine, of this coronavirus vaccine. And they go into technical detail. Obviously, these are extremely qualified individuals at the top of their field, Brian. So, you know, th what they're raising in terms of red flags should be taken very seriously. But there's a few things that caught our eye Brian, that we think are incredibly important. 
and we had to flag. And here is one of them. Uh, it's in this section here, section 11. And uh, just to bring up the fine print, it has to do with the safety of this uh, with regards to pregnant women or with regards to the issue of infertility. And this is what it says. There is no indication whether antibodies against the spike protein, this is what's created by their vaccine, their uh, mRNA vaccine, of SARS uh, viruses uh, would also act like anti-syncytin-1 uh, um, antibodies. So this is the, uh, uh, the, the, the type of thing that's generated uh, through this new vaccine. However, uh, if it were to be the case, this would then also prevent the formation of a placenta, which would result in vaccinated women essentially becoming infertile. Now, I cannot stress to you how important that type of a safety issue is uh, in this conversation. And so to, to, for, for Matt Hancock or anybody to be saying that it's been fully tested and it's totally safe because the regulator says it's safe, yeah. uh, to, for them to say that, how could it be fully tested long-term effects if it's only been tested for a few months? How would they know? They uh, don't, they don't know. They don't know is the key thing. And, and I, this is I, what Michael Yeadon said as well. So it's obviously we're not making any uh, medical expert claims here. We're quoting the experts. So We're quoting the expert. And, and I think we are allowed to say to our audience um, today that uh, we, we were contacted by one of those medical experts early this morning who wanted to alert us to a whole range of uh, evidence which challenges everything that we're being told about these vaccines. We can't give you an, a name, we can't give you an, an identity because as I mentioned earlier, the problem is that people are now in danger if they speak out at a professional level on what's happening. Uh, but uh, the person fully agreed with what you're showing on screen. And I think you have some more, more details well, about that. Let's bring this in. Now, this is going back to 1969. We're being told that, yes, this is very old information. However, the basis of it um, is fully relevant to what's happening with the, the vaccines that are being offered to the public over COVID-19. Um, I've put a little notice here that the UK column has been alerted to this material by a fully qualified medical professional who is deeply concerned at vaccine risks to women. And the subject is embrotoxicology, and it's the effect of what's, what's known as poly-I and poly-C. Now, I'm gonna say that some of this is at deep uh, bioscience um, level, biomedical scientific level. All we can do is show the basis of this evidence, and we're gonna try and get more input by the relevant specialists who can go into this in detail. But let's have a look at what this paper actually uh, is talking about. So here we are, this is August the 16th, 1969. Uh, just try and focus in on the key bit here. Uh, but it's, it's talking about these, these two things, poly-I and poly-C. Now, what we are being told is that effectively, these are also gonna be present in the modern vaccines. And I'll just read this bit here. Thus, although poly-I and poly-C appears to be extremely embryotoxic, embryotoxic in terminating pregnancy, the compound does not have the high terogenic properties of these doses in the rabbit 
in our experimental conditions and in the data table underneath you can see that they're actually listing doses versus damage to the fetuses of rabbits now remember of course that when when we're talking about um tests of vaccines in the early days all of the tests are on animals they're going to be on rabbits and monkeys and particularly young mon monkeys uh, because of the relative strength of the immune system in a young monkey uh, but this 1969 report is is warning uh, that there is a real risk of these components which we are being told are present under uh, other within other material coming into the modern vaccines which can have a risk to the placenta and thus the development of babies this should surely be debated openly uh, but we've got no debate on it pal at all instead we have calls for a wide rollout uh, a rushed rollout, rollout yeah. of, of a vaccine for a pandemic that doesn't look like uh, it's materialized uh, or there was a pandemic you could argue uh, yeah. in the spring of of 2020 but uh, according to the numbers that we're looking at in terms of ICUs in terms of uh, deaths and so forth yes. attribution of death to COVID there's there's no uh, pandemic so uh, now on this pregnancy on risk to pregnancy uh, point Brian uh, this is uh, Jonathan uh, Van Tam let's uh, listen to what he has to say he uh, you could say he admitted as much that there's an issue but he very skillfully uh, talked his way around it he's uh, I believe one of the chief scientific uh, medical officers uh, for the government for England. favored by Mr. Hancock, clearly. Yeah, JVT, uh, as Matt Hancock called JVT. him. Let's listen to uh, Mr. Van Tam. If the vaccine's safe for pregnant women, and it kind of feeds into what you were saying about who has been, who has taken part in these trials. Yes, uh, thank you. That's a question that's come up before. None of the trials deliberately included pregnant women. But there will always have been, as there were in the trials that I'm aware of, um, women who volunteered for the programme, who then, during their vaccination programme as part of the trial, became pregnant. And it is always the case that the manufacturers, the, the sponsors of the study, always follow those um, women who became pregnant during the study rigorously right to the end of the study and they also follow the baby into its early years of life so from that perspective um, this is covered but right now do we have the data in pregnant women to understand um, it's the use of any of these vaccines in pregnant women no we don't does the jcvi suggest that pregnant women should be vaccinated no it does not and that isn't a sign that the JCVI or me have seen some terrible problem. It's a definite sign that we don't have the data at this point and yeah. therefore safety first, always being cautious, even though there may well be no problem at all. And Nevertheless, always safety first. Totally contradictory. Uh, he's contradicting himself. You know, he's saying it's always the case that the uh, drug companies follow through. And he's saying that uh, this is, we've got this covered. And he said safety first, but then admits that they don't have the data. Of course they don't have the data, because if you've only been doing testing for a few months, uh, uh, last time I checked, Brian, the gestation period for a pregnancy in a human is how many months? 
Well, nine, roughly. It's nine. And then to follow the baby afterwards, that's you're yeah. talking minimum but, of a year. How could they possibly know if it's safe well, uh, and be able to cover all of, all of that? They are not recommending this vaccine is going to pregnant women because they know the data that we're talking about, the risks. They know about this. But what do you do? Oh, we just recommend that pregnant women don't have it. If, if you didn't know you were pregnant, don't worry, because we'll follow you After. to see whether you do have problems. So we'll roll it out first. Yeah, roll it out first, and, wait for the damage, and then, then we'll sort of assess that. And women who, girls who aren't even pregnant uh, at the time of yeah. taking the vaccine. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions here that are really unanswered, and it seems like they're just rushing it. Uh, and saying, don't worry, no problem, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that later kind of thing. Yeah, because the, the agenda of the drug company is to get those multi-millions of doses out and get the profits rolling in. Uh, the, these drug companies, <coughs> excuse me, are, have not suddenly become non-profit making charities for the benefit of, of mankind. They are in driving for the multi-billion pound profits that uh, the, the British government's handing handing them on a plate. That's why their own, um, their own executives are selling shares on the basis of these huge contracts. This is about profit. So, so on, the, on the question of uh, <laughs> are the vaccine companies doing a good enough job testing for efficacy or safety, we'll just go and point people right here uh, to the British Medical Journal. Again, Brian, this isn't a shabby uh, fringe publication here. What are they saying? Will COVID-19 vaccines actually save lives? Matt Hancock said that the, the only thing that can save lives is the vaccines. Current trials are, aren't designed to tell us. And uh, here's what they're saying here, Brian. Only uh, a safe and effective vaccine will be approved, they say. And nine vaccine manufacturers issued a rare joint statement pledging not to prematurely seek regulatory review, which they're actually doing right now. They're prematurely seeking regulatory review. So again, this is uh, a little double talk uh, by the establishment, the government and the vaccine manufacturers. And they go on to say here, ideally, uh, you want an antiviral vaccine to do two things. Uh, first, reduce the likelihood that you will get severely ill and go to the hospital and two, prevent infection, therefore interrupting disease transmission. This is from one of the top infectious disease uh, experts in the United States, uh, Peter Hotez here. And uh, it goes on to say, well, is this actually going to happen, Brian? Well, maybe not. Yet the current phase three trials are not actually set up to prove either. None of the trials currently underway are designed to detect a reduction in any serious outcome, such as hospital admissions, use of intensive care, or deaths. Nor are the vaccines being studied to determine whether they can interrupt the yeah. transmission of the virus. They do not provide immunity and they can't even say for sure that they would keep you from getting infected. Well, the expert who spoke to us this morning, I had to take notes very quickly, a lot of information coming over, but they stated that uh, to see the claim being for 94, 95% effective for the vaccine was false, was, uh, was the word used. Uh, this is all based on relative risk. And, it's, and, and they said that the actual uh, risk reduction was actually a fraction of a percent. And they stressed the point that you've just mentioned that, that uh, the vaccine was definitely not going to stop infection between one person and another. So uh, 
medical experts coming forward to the UK column and presumably this is because it's so difficult to get the so-called mainstream media to respond but telling us that the claims of the vaccine companies absolutely false not only that's that, quite something isn't it it is but what, what's even more amazing Brian is they're kicking it back to the regulator uh, Matt Hancock the other government so to you know pass the buck yeah uh, deniability um, not my fault the regulator said it's safe and we trust the regulator again just like we trust sage or we trust the science but yeah. th they themselves don't have to actually take responsibility we've got a clip here this is what Matt Hancock said about the MRHA regulator go ahead and roll this yeah we I was saying we we would happily take this if it helped get the message over I take it live on air I don't yeah. care I mean I, I I just feel like it's really yeah. important if we're going to get through this that enough people take it yeah yeah, I'll take it with you, Piers. Well, you know and, what? Let's um, do this. Actually, you know, I'm serious. You've got to show I, leadership I actually, in these things. I'll, I'll come to where you are any time next week if we if we can do this, and let's do it together live on air. It would be powerful. It would send the right message. Yeah. If you take it, I take it. Susanna takes it. Yeah. You know, Dr. Hillary takes it. I think it it will have an impact. Well, yeah. Let's let's just take. No, it's it's not just. He takes it, his family take it, his children take it, his grandchildren take it. Let's, let's do the whole thing for Piers Morgan. If he believes in this, the whole of his family get this and then we'll start to see. But not even that, Brian. He, he said, well, it's not because of health. I'm doing it because I want to convince people that it's safe. So he's admitting that he's playing the role of, you know, actor or public relations actor. Uh, for the government there with the health minister. I mean, this is totally unprecedented. Where is this coming from? Yeah. Uh, this is a whole new way of government operating here. And it seems like these corporations are absolutely fused with the government right now. This is a total oh. merger of corporate and government state interests here. And then the media, of course, is corporate as well. Their biggest advertisers, a lot of them are pharmaceutical companies. We did, we had Bill Gates meeting with Boris Johnson couple of weeks ago what was discussed in those meetings the public has no idea so we've simply got big corporations mincing through the doors of number 10 in order to have discussions in order to put policy in place which affects every person in UK and the public's simply not told what what did Mr Gates have to say as an unqualified individual Bill Gates has lots of honorary degrees Brian what are you talking about he's given them every week he's given them every week <laughs> right but he's medically unqualified right. I take the point let's have a look at uh, this now uh, this is detailed information about the fights of vaccine uh, this is what the company is claiming itself have a look at the red box and we're going to ask for any support out there from fully qualified stat statisticians mathematicians uh, because uh, what our experts said is if you look at this claim uh, in the red box there is this statement it says um, 100% two-sided, 95% confidence interval of minus 13.1% to 100%. And the person said to us, you have not got to look any further, but if you are dealing with confidence levels where you're using minus numbers, minus 13.1 to 100%, what you're actually saying is that the system you're using is totally 
irrelevant, it's false. What, what? But this data has been put down in order to, uh, uh, what's the word, um, browbeat the public into believing that this has come from qualified experts. So our challenge today, and we're pleased that we've got members of our audience challenging us, but we're gonna put out, if you're a fully qualified statistician, uh, come and talk to us about this minus 13.1% to 100% uh, confidence indicator. So the, the, this is the sort of uh, subtext that's not in the headlines, Brian. All the headlines saying is vaccine is 94% effective. Yes. So th this isn't the government saying that. This isn't an independent uh, food and drug administration or anybody saying that. This is the, the companies themselves are running their own tests and then telling us uh, how the results went. Yeah. And as we've said, a lot of experts and critics are saying they're designed to succeed for a number of different reasons, which we'll report on uh, in, in future programs, hopefully, Brian. But uh, that's, that's you know, where the sort of, you know, some people might call it a con. <laughs> so. Yes. Well, some people might. Uh, let's bring up this. Now, uh, this was a clip out of a, an interview with it was John Snow, if I remember correctly, but he was talking to John Bell, professor of medicine, Oxford University. And this is what the expert said. He's talking about the vaccine for COVID-19. We need to look carefully and regulators need to look quite carefully to make sure that it's done what we needed it to do before it gets approved. So there will be a delay between the outcome of the trial a decision as to whether it can be used as a vaccine. Hope all that made sense. Anything that undermines the legitimacy of the regulators to make independent decisions is, in my view, profoundly unhelpful. Well, that sounds a reasonable statement, doesn't sure. it? So let's have a look at what he might be talking about. So we'll get into uh, MHRA here. Um, notice the childish cartoon, because, of course, it's designed to be talking to adults uh, but uh, we need cartoons to understand uh, so what credibility does MH, MHRA have these are all people commenting on MHRA uh, recent events have proven that it's not a watchdog it's a pussycat that purrs in front of the pharmaceutical industry and does what it's told it has an incestuous relationship with big pharma and has a close association with the associate sorry, with the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry. It has a disgraceful recent uh, record. We can look with gratitude to the work not of the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency in protecting the public, but to people such as Sarah Bosley of The Guardian for expose the organisation, and to the television programme Panorama, and to Richard Brooke of Mind, who courageously resigned from MHRA in disgust at its activities. So this is not coming across just from the UK column. If you go and look, the evidence is all out there in the wider media that this organisation is not fit for purpose. Have a look at some of the more of the uh, comments on it. Um, so um, this is from NSBC. Uh, the MHRA, the UK Drug Safety, Safety Agency, falsified vaccine safety data. Uh, millions of children at serious risk. GlaxoSmithKline's Cervarex HPV vaccines for cervical cancer. The MHRA systematically tampered with 600 reports of adverse reactions. 6,000. Sorry, 6,000. Thank you for that. Uh, to declare the vaccine safe. And on it goes. House of Commons Elect South Com uh, Select Committee report of 2005 in view of the failings of MHRA. 
MHRA regulator's trail of deception has been exposed. Andrew Miller, the chairman of a parliamentary select committee, has said uh, that a trail of deception has been exposed in the system. And that's from the Telegraph. That's not just coming up on social media. MHRA under fire amid calls for shakeup of regulatory system, the scandal of device regulation in the, in the UK. And that's come from the Lancet. And on it goes, the Siroxat killer is asking the government why they allow Dr Ian Hudson, the MHRA CEO, to take part in the European Medicines Evaluation Agency's review of Siroxat as an antidepressant. So working both sides of the case, always a popular thing. Um, more on that, uh, MHRA sheds all its, sorry, sheds all its data, Dr Ben Goldacre in his book, uh, shredded, shredded all its data. Um, so it's pretty clear what's going on with that one. And we're back on to GlaxoSmithKline and uh, we've got more and more. So this organisation, uh, Patrick, hasn't got a leg to stand on and we shouldn't be trusting it to regulate the introduction of a new vaccine, surely. Well, there's just a litany of scandals there as long as uh, anyone's arm, uh, and that goes right back 20 years, uh, which you've just shown, Brian. So this is the regulator that's rubber stamping uh, these uh, vaccines that are on this express schedule, expedited rollout, yeah. why, why does it need to be rushed? Why not take the normal amount of time which to develop, to properly develop a vaccine? As Dr. Michael Yeadon says, he, he's all for a well-developed vaccine that meets a medical need, he said in his recent interview uh, with talk radio, four to 10 years, Brian. Yeah. Four to 10 years. And this is being done in effectively six months. Okay, what could possibly go wrong is our question. It, oh. <laughs> trust the regulator because it's all, it's all fine, everything's fine. The trouble is when the things go wrong, people damaged in the short term, in the long term, or they die. And of course, that's why there's a huge uh, fund kept by the British government to pay off anybody who's unfortunately suffered adverse side effects from vaccine. So it's not as if people are saying, well, there aren't any side effects. No, we have to have a huge fund uh, available for people to make claims against except what the victims say is you try making a claim to get paid money uh, it's very very difficult so yeah. the government protecting uh, the firms once again this is Loughborough University let's bring this one up on screen so I've slightly covered the Loughborough University logo there but it says actual deaths due to COVID are some 54 percent 63 percent lower than implied by the uh, standard excess deaths measure and reported excess deaths likely to include a significant number of non-COVID deaths. And then the second box down on your screen, over the lockdown period as a whole, government policy has increased mortality rather than reduced it. This, this is a major British university. A highly respected university uh, with this sort of data. And, and indeed, our medical expert this, mor this morning was happy to say this is the sort of data we should be paying attention to. So they're, they're reflecting what you've been talking about, what we've been talking about, the UK column, what since the beginning of the crisis, uh, talking about lockdown deaths, that there is actually yeah. a case to be made that the uh, excess mortality or the, the spike in deaths uh, we are a direct result of lockdown, which is yes. government policy, not yeah. the coronavirus. Well, and of course, Mike Robinson produced a wealth of excellent graphics showing this. 
And uh, I think UK Column can, can actually say we've had a big hand in focusing people's attention on the, on the damage from lockdown. Let's just put up Loughborough University's uh, graphs. I mean, they've put out a lot of material, uh, but essentially here, uh, we've got an average weekly excess deaths. That's the red line. Uh, we've got in blue weekly excess deaths. Uh, uh, that's being linked as the COVID line, if you like. And then the dotted line is the five-year average of excess deaths. And what they're saying is there isn't, uh, uh, there isn't a graph here which is actually showing that the COVID deaths uh, have, have gone above that five-year median line. So really within the normal range of excess mortality from previous years, and this is also dovetailed by the Johns Hopkins uh, University report that was repressed yeah. this past week that says basically the same thing with looking at U.S. data from the CDC itself, Brian. So, you know, whether it's in the U.K. or whether it's in the United States, we're seeing the same conclusions being drawn now. Afterwards, we're sifting through the dust and we're finding out, hey, uh, what we've been told, what's been claimed in the press and by government isn't actually true. Yeah. So. So and, and of course, we've got, as you, as you were talking about, players like Piers Morgan. Is Piers Morgan listening to us now? I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, but we'll say to Piers Morgan, time you got this information up on your own programme and started to discuss it in front of the public. I think he's going to be too frightened. Interrogating uh, the claims by the government rather than just being a cheerleader. Uh, for the policies. In front so, of his Christmas tree. So so it seems like not all, this is a, a few weeks old, Brian, but you know, not all NHS staff are keen to line up uh, in the front of the, the queue uh, for the vaccine. And of course, they're supposed to be the ones getting it first, although the government pulled that back this morning saying that no, actually, NHS workers won't be the first to get vaccinated along with the vulnerable and elderly. And here, look how they're characterizing it in the headline, not surprised. It's the Times after all, Brian, here. NHS staff, uh, they join the anti-vax group, so anti-vax. Yeah, you, you're not that you've got concerns about the vaccine and therefore questions. you're making a statement, you've got concerns, you've got questions. The Times instantly brands them as though they are, well, they're anti, that's a negative connotation the moment you start. Yeah, but, it's uh, a broad brush as well, it, and it doesn't speak to the, the, the actual questions and the actual concerns right. that are being raised by these stuff. It's good to know that there's still some independent-minded, critical-thinking uh, members of, uh, of the staff of the NHS, but they're being demonized and their jobs are on the line by taking this stance because it's not politically correct. Can yes. you believe we're having this debate right now? Well, I'm afraid I can. <laughs> I can because this is the United Kingdom under this appalling, appalling government. Um, we asked uh, the person we spoke to this morning what, what it was like in order to try and speak out from within the NHS. And they said it's extremely dangerous. Uh, the inference is that you're going to lose your job pretty quickly. But they said that people in the NHS are very, very concerned, deeply concerned about the effect of, of uh, vaccines. And they are now starting to group up in order to give themselves some protection and to challenge the NHS. And I think we heard shortly before we came live that there's some talk that uh, maybe the vaccine rollout for NH staff could be de delayed. That's right. I haven't got to the bottom of where that report came from, but that was uh, moving around amongst us. Very interesting, Brian. And why would that be? Could it be because there's some dissent 
within the ranks of the NHS? Well, Some of course, questions and if concerns? they lose the confidence of the main specialist people inside the NHS, the whole of this COVID scam is going to is going to come unraveled. So I can imagine that they've bullied the NHS into following the program. Now the worm is turning a bit. This is very dangerous for the likes of Matt Hancock. Isn't it amazing, Brian, the, the government used the NHS, you know, get out and clap every Thursday night or whatever it was, protect the NHS. The whole lockdown itself at the beginning was to flatten the curve to protect the NHS. Everything was about the NHS. And now the government's effectively using the NHS, pushing them right to the front of the queue, saying you must get all 1.4 million healthcare workers in the country need to be vaccinated with this yeah. fast-tracked, absolutely rushed vaccine product from the major pharmaceutical firms. So, you know, that's a thing to be concerned about in itself, that they would try to politicize this national institution to this degree. Go that, government's uh, got no qualms, uh, Patrick. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't we're want... dealing with a criminal government. That's There's not no just a political it. football, Brian. That's a, that's a political elephant that they're pushing around. Yeah, and maybe so. it's going to squash them. We could just hope for that, couldn't we? Well, we couldn't uh, have a, a UK column news without talking about the BBC. So what's the BBC been up to? Well, if you look at their website every morning, of course, it's pumping out the COVID fear propaganda. I just took this uh, screenshot earlier this morning and I was just fascinated. So uh, top article, breakthrough chance recedes as UK EU talks go on. So in theory, we've got a Brexit article, but note that we, we have with it a very large picture of somebody wearing a mask. This is deliberate. Um, 4.3 billion pounds worth of propaganda machine. They know what they're doing. Uh, then we've got uh, Fauci here. Uh, apologising for saying that the UK uh, had rushed vaccine. Oh, we've got to get that on screen because we don't want anybody uh, challenging what's happened in the UK. I wouldn't trust this man further than I could throw him. Absolutely but not. But the BBC <laughs> needed to get it on screen. And then what have we got? Well, down here, um, what are the safety checks for vaccine? Well, if you want to read a Christmas pantomime, get into that article after the UK column today. Uh, we've got this one. Um, now, this is preparing people. Will I need a vaccine passport? The BBC is not saying, do we need passports? What are the risks of these passports? No, this is this is prompting people that the passports are going to come in and uh, really you will need one. And then the articles go on, pub shops, travel. What can you do uh, in each COVID uh, tier? What tier is your area in? So. BBC simply reporting COVID, but what was on that page uh, a little bit before I took the screenshot was a, a link through to this article. I put this specially for you, Pat, obviously. Uh, COVID, Biden to ask Americans to wear masks for 100 days. Let's look at this. I'm asking Americans to wear masks for my first 100 days in office. And the BBC made sure readers knew that the first 100 days was sort of a statement period that presidents make to stamp their authority on an administration and the nation. So he wants you to be masked up. He's not in that picture, though, which is a bit worrying, but there we are. The first day I'm inaugurated to say, I'm going to ask the public for 100 days to mask, just 100 days to mask, not forever, 100 days. Now, the to say in uh, pinky purple there was part of his uh, quote, so I'm not sure what was going on in this old man's 
brain, I'm allowed to call him an old man, I think, at my stage in life. Yeah, a curmu so, curmudgeon would be the, uh, <laughs> the correct word. Yeah, actually. so I don't know whether he's beginning to suffer from wearing a mask too much. And I think we'll see a significant reduction if we occur that, if that occurs with vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. This is not even proper uh, English, Pat. What is going on in this man's brain? I don't, I don't know. I'm going to issue a standing order that in federal buildings, you have to be masked. Transportation interstate, transportation, you must be masked, aeroplanes and buses, uh, uh, etc. Um, I'm happy to take a vaccine in public. Perhaps he could join Piers Morgan. They could have a, a vaccine love-in. Yeah, they could have a big vaccine party. On, yeah, people uh, on have lost faith in the ability of the vaccine to work. Now, that's an interesting statement. Yeah, we need to do something about that, says the yeah, government. Yeah, we need to crush that. It matters what a president and the vice president do. So there we are, lots of masking up. All about and, optics, Brian. All about yeah. public, all about nudging, all about coercing uh, the public. But, you know, Joe Biden's a perfect example, Brian, of what happens when he's been wearing a mask for months. That's what oxygen deprivation to the brain does. Yes. It's, uh, and this is why he, he can't um, complete sentences properly. <laughs> okay, well, on a light-hearted note, but I'm afraid it is black humor, um, an advert for uh, David Ellis's latest report, Battleships. Um, I encourage people to watch this. David kindly invited me to speak on the matter from my uh, long, long ago military experience, but he was a bit concerned uh, to see young naval aviators who are apparently now uh, being able to play board games in order to learn about area anti-submarine warfare. Uh, if you don't believe what you're seeing on screen, go to the front page of the UK column and look for the Ellis report and you can see and hear uh, just some amazing things. Again, this is, of course, UK's military being treated and brought to the level of children. This is a political agenda at work, Pat. What are you talking about? It's a great game, Battleship, Brian. I played it when I was uh, 9 and 10, 11, yeah. right up to... When I was in high school, I was too old to play it, of course, but it's a great game. It's a great game. It's very in instructive. Indeed. I thoroughly recommend it for children, but I'm a little bit concerned to see adult military people being reduced to uh, playing battleships. But do watch that report. And we just say thank you very much to everybody who's watching today, listening today and supporting the UK column. We can only do what we do with your, with your help and support. And it's very much appreciated. Um, yeah, couldn't say more on that really because it's mm -hmm. been really wonderful this year. Now, we have got an audience that thinks and uh, UK Column has got used to the fact that uh, if we get something slightly wrong, our audience picks us up pretty quickly. And I have to say that I made a report the other day which was about Mersey Care. Uh, so this is an NHS trust. And uh, we highlighted the fact that uh, in this Freedom of Information report, it was uh, reporting that uh, there were just five deaths related to this. Uh, now, I am going to admit that this information came into us uh, shortly before the news. I did our basic due diligence checks on it. What I didn't quite pick up was that actually that trust is, uh, deals with um, mental health illness and therefore it is a very small trust and therefore the, the, uh, the fact that they only had five uh, deaths 
that is tragic, uh, but of course that was a very low number because the trust itself is very small. So uh, a number of um, emails came in. I thought I'd put this one up. Uh, the RTI featured on the Wednesday, December the 2nd, relates to one mental health trust in Merseyside and does not apply to the acute hospitals. Any seriously ill patients this trust has are transferred to an acute hospital. You might like to investigate the NHS structure in Merseyside that leads to such confusion. This information came from a retired friend who lives in Merseyside and was part of the NHS administration. Now I'm going to say thank you to everybody that challenged us um, because uh, we know that you were doing that for the right reason and we've printed this uh, acknowledgement. Uh, but I'm also going to say that if you say to us we should be investigating we're just going to return some of this and say no 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 we encourage you to investigate uh, because we have more than enough on our plate at the moment so if you really want to support the uh, UK column please keep this positive criticism coming because we welcome it but we're also going to say we need all the help we can get from our audience to do the research and to lift the stones to show what's really going on. I uh, don't think we can say more on that one. No, no, that's a good Okay, good now I've a little bit of an eye on the clock and I'm hoping that uh, Mike behind the scenes will give us a couple of minutes just to finish this because we just wanted to comment a little bit on how our politicians are responding to challenges. Um, let's have a look at this one. This is um, Colonel Bob Stewart, Conservative MP for Beckham. He was being interviewed by Julia, Julia Hartley Brewer, December the 1st, <coughs> excuse me, 2020. And let's go uh, through what he had to say very quickly. Um, he said, I'm going to vote with the government. Well, that vote's already happened. So he's voting for the government on COVID-19 lockdown policies. So he says, I'm going to vote with the government. Listen, I was not actually keen on the lockdown. And I did actually speak to the Prime Minister about this because I said to him, I'm not very keen. And he said, from my position, and this is his view, I have to listen to what the experts, whatever you say, the experts, the experts are the chief scientific officer of this country and the chief medical officer of this country and SAGE. Now, there are a huge number of experts on the Internet. I sometimes wonder if they're all doctors or they've been to university. But these experts are all saying that the prime minister has got it this wrong and that they've got it right. There is a difference. And the difference is this. And this is what the prime minister said to me. And this is, in my view, battle winning. He said all these people that are disagreeing with the way we are tackling this problem. I accept that there are different views. But there is one crucial difference between them and me. If I make a decision and I get it wrong, a hell of a lot of people are going to die. Now, when I listened to that, I didn't know whether I was getting thoughts from inside the mind of Colonel Bob Stewart or I was simply getting a party political message from from Boris Johnson. It was rather difficult to tell. And I wasn't alone because the lady stepped back in and um, I've just taken a snapshot, but she started to say, well, hang on, we've got these crazy measures in force. And she said, why are you supporting more measures which have no scientific basis? Telling a pub that you can't have a drink unless you're sitting down and having a meal at the same time. There is no scientific basis or medical judgment for that rule. So why are you voting for it? 
Now she was pretty crunchy here and I'd say well done Julia because you're getting stuck in. This was the reply because I think we've got to take these measures to try and keep this horrid pandemic under control. Now I, I'm sure the audience sees what I see but let's imagine that Colonel Bob Stewart was still in the military and the tanks were advancing towards his position the tanks representing coronavirus and signals come down that you're to fire anti-tank am ammunition at the tanks but you're also to throw mud at them and surely the soldier would be saying to him but but sir why are we going to throw mud at tanks and Colonel Bob Stewart would be saying oh because we must follow the instructions we're going to throw mud at tanks because that's what the senior officers have told us yeah just in case but Patrick reassure me here am I alone in this I think we're starting to see breakdown in the thought processes of our MPs I'm going to suggest that this colonel has been mentally reframed and he's unable to think coherently he can only talk about what the MP says and we'll just give you one more and then we'll end today this is Steve Double and he was challenged by one of his constituents and this is what he replied thank you for your email and for clarifying some of your thinking behind the issues of the great reset uh, the new normal and agenda 2030 the word a word of caution in my previous email was that whilst there is a genuine plan drawn up with the world economic forum entitled the great reset there are also a number of bogus claims including speculation that the pandemic has been orchestrated by world leaders which are deeply threatening to our fight against the virus this is also known as the great reset conspiracy theory do you see where his mind is going well, they've tied themselves in knots on this but go ahead Brian well let's carry on and see what Steve says it's certainly true that many are thinking carefully about how we can live life better beyond the virus learning from technological advances that might have been made over the past eight months it's also important we are better prepared for any future epidemiological threats a uh, bit more however it's worth clarifying the right honorable Michael Gove's statement in that he was referring to ways in which the nation would need to adapt until a virus a vaccine was rolled out and the virus has been suppressed uh, he was not referring in that moment to any new way of living beyond the pandemic as our confidence is that as restrictions are relaxed we will be able to regain normality once more not least in the way we can socialize with others are you with his mind I'm having trouble I'm struggling please be assured that the end is in sight with the hope of several vaccines proving effective one of which I've participated in trials for we have very good reason to be positive that we'll be able to enjoy the things we value in life uh, so much once more and I'm going to say this is another man this is not real thought process this is a sort of quasi political regurgitation of something this man's reframed he's not thinking coherently is it any wonder why there's no proper debate in Westminster well you know what, what the medical experts that we spoke to uh Brian earlier today said that the proper scientific term for what we're seeing now is a pseudo pandemic 
a pseudo pandemic. So if you want some language that you can use out there on social media, this is the proper scientific term to what is happening right now. It's, it's when a pandemic is being hyped up uh, when actually the numbers, the data, the actual medical evidence there doesn't support that there is actually a pandemic going on right now today. December yeah. uh, 2020. Um, so that's a pseudo pandemic. The other thing I'm going to say about Steve Double, a little bit of double speak from uh, Steve, Steve Double. The World Economic Forum, Build Back Better, all of their terminology is blazoned behind Boris Johnson, behind Joe Biden, behind Justin Trudeau, behind a number of other world leaders. Yeah. Are you telling me that's just a coincidence? That's not a conspiracy theory, that's a fact. Uh, so to, it's quite disingenuous for him to sort of ward people off asking, so why have they all streamlined using the same slogans? And they're saying build back better, build back better, build back better. They broke it. So they want us to build something back better, which they broke. Okay. Indeed. It was government policy. It was lockdowns that destroyed the global economy, not the coronavirus. Because some countries did not lock down and they are perfectly fine today. They want to blame and scapegoat the virus absolutely everything and say that, that we have no alternative we had to do this for your own good to flatten the curve and then three months later it's something else and then six months later it's something else wait for the vaccine and so forth this would just keep going on for what another year another 18 months more school closures until we stop it is the answer <laughs> so. and at that point i think we're going to have to say we're out of time for today's news patrick thank you very mm -hmm. much for joining me thank you to all our audience we really do appreciate uh, your support. We also love it when we can see that you're using information we're pushing out in order to challenge these despicable uh, MPs and government officials uh, in this uh, created uh, pandemic scam. That's my personal view on it. So if you're digging and exposing what's really happening, feeding us the information, we couldn't wish for more. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back at the same time on Monday.